Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Hello, um, this is uh, Hashim Mackey here, uh, your moderator for the day, and uh, uh, we thank you for tuning in and just uh, wanted to say that this event uh, is uh, a part of a bigger event, the African Strategic Forum. And uh, for, for the day, we have our event on Angola and uh, Mozambique. And we have two phenomenal uh, uh, guests here who would uh, uh, engage us in very uh, energetic and uh, thoughtful discussions about the status of uh, Angola and, and Mozambique as they embark on uh, elections coming up uh, in the, in the next uh, few uh, years. So with that, I will introduce uh, my panelists. And first I'll introduce uh, Ms. Martina Perino, who is, uh, uh, Ms. Ms. Martina Perino uh, is, is an specialist uh, uh, program manager at the International Republican Institute based in Washington, DC, but uh, originally from Mozambique. And also uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Florindo Shufukuti, who is the founder and executive director of uh, Friends of Angola and, and Radio Angola, an online radio station from the Angola, and, uh, and he's, he's, for, he's from Angola, and he's based here in Washington, D.C. So with that, uh, please uh, welcome my uh, panelists, and we would have uh, Ms. Martina first uh, go and introduce and bring us up to speed with the context of what has happened uh, lately in uh, uh, Mozambique. So with that, please, um, Martina, go ahead. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here today. And thank you for the Institute of World Politics uh, for hosting this event. Um, I'm going to try and summarize Mozambique for those who do not follow it closely. Maybe I'll do 30, 40 years of uh, history in two minutes. So let's see how well I do with that. <laughs> um, so in the 1960s, and this also relates to Angola really, in the 1960s, uh, the anti-colonial ideology started spreading around the continent, around, uh, throughout Africa. And by 1964, Frelimo um, uh, was formed and in, initiated a campaign against the Portuguese rule in, uh, in Mozambique. So Frelimo was a group of uh, men and women who was, were basically fighting for independence. Uh, in 1975, Mozambique became independent uh, and the, they formed a government. And by 1977, however, civil war broke out between Frelimo, so the, who had just formed the government, and Renamo, a, um, a, almost a splinter group or a force that really grew in parts of the country um, with support also from um, other countries in the region at the time, uh, South Africa and uh, Zimbabwe, well, Rhodesia back then. And the civil war lasted a very long time. Uh, we, in, in 1990, civil war, or at least the conflict started to decrease, and that's also the end of the Cold War around the world. And uh, by 1990, Mozambique had a new constitution and introduced multi-party democracy. Uh, by 1992, uh, there was a peace deal between Renamo and Frelimo. And, 
1994, we had our first elections uh, in the country. The hopes were high, spirits were really high uh, for this new system. Turnout was really high. And uh, Mozambique has been going in a similar trajectory for several years with several bumps along the way. And that is not unusual for a country that um, is post-conflict like Mozambique. Uh, unfortunately, with um, for people that follow Mozambique, um, probably right now Mozambique is in the news for uh, elements of violent extremism in the north of the country. Uh, Cabo Delgado is one of the 10 provinces in Mozambique. And um, the war has been going, well, the conflict has been going on there, or instability has been going on there for three years at the by now, and it has actually escalated recently. So um, Mozambique is still a multi-party democracy. Uh, the last elections were in uh, 2019. The International Republican Institute was in Mozambique during those elections for a period of time. Uh, long-term analysts to analyze the situation. So I'm very happy to be in this panel to discuss what uh, has emerged from Mozambique, lessons learned, how it compares to Angola, and uh, how Angola's trajectory can be even smoother. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, Mr. Uh, Shufukuti, why don't you uh, start us off with giving us uh, three uh, minutes of uh, bringing us up to speed with uh, Angola and what has uh, ha been happening there lately. Uh, well, uh, thank you, um, uh, Hashim, very much for host, ho hosting us and in, to the Institute of World Politics as well. It's my honor to be here. And I, I think, um, uh, like uh, uh, Ms. Martina alluded to, uh, there's a lot of similarities between Angola and Mozambique in terms of this colonial struggle in, uh, and during the independence war. Um, but uh, Angola had close to 500 years uh, of colonization from Portugal, uh, and after uh, became independent in 1975, we uh, we embraced communism, uh, just like many states or countries, if you will, in Africa, and and so we had a communist regime in Angola from 1975 to. 1990s, towards the end of uh, the 1919, uh, right after the collapse of former USSR. Uh, we have had our first uh, elections, I believe my memory serves me well, in 1992. Um, that's when we had our first elections. Um, our constitution, uh, the first constitution in Angola, was also uh, was established right after, I believe, in the same year when Angola became independent in 1975. And uh, it, it, it's interesting enough, but within this constitution, uh, they also was established 45 years ago. The uh, the was established important tires of governance, in, including the local level, uh, that hasn't been established thus far. Right. Well, thank you both for this uh, brief introduction about the uh, two countries. And um, with that, we'll get into the Q&A. So for the audience, please prepare your questions and uh, don't feel shy to ask the questions and uh, we'll get to it. Mm -hmm. um, Ms. Martina, I would like to ask you uh, if you can also uh, tell us more in depth about uh, what has been happening uh, in terms of your experience with the national elections, but also with the provincial 
provincial uh, elections, but also the municipal at the municipal level. So, can you um, share with us uh, as far as Mozambique is concerned? And of course, feel free to uh, talk about uh, Angola too if you find something there. So, please go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, so, as I said before, in 1994, we had our uh, presidential and um, parliamentary elections. And uh, there was a great turnout. Uh, there were obviously flaws in the system and uh, some uh, contested results. However, overall, the, the process has been continuing regularly every five years. And that is good. That is uh, something that the Constitution establishes and has been respected over the years. Moreover, uh, there are municipal elections that have been ha happening since 1998. So they happen like the year before the next uh, national level elections. And those have been happening regularly since 1998. Again, holding elections is very beginning, <laughs> the very first step. Now the quality of elections has been uh, problematic um, over the years. Um, for, for instance, um, lots of, uh, there've been lots of court cases. There've been, um, Renamo has put forward many, many cases in the constitutional court and all cases have been uh, more or less rejected or denied. And that, that has created a system whereby when there is a grievance or an electoral grievance, some, some stakeholders might feel that there's no recourse uh, or no appropriate recourse that is going to be actually valid and, um, and have a real impact, uh, have an important impact in the country. So for instance, one of them, um, I don't wanna get the date wrong and that's why I'm looking at my sheet. And, the, and it says clearly in um, 2013, uh, those were, there were more municipal level elections so pretty recently, and um, while the opposition has been making ground in, especially in the municipal level elections, uh, Renamo did not contest those elections. Renamo is the main opposition party in Mozambique, and it did not contest those elections, as it alleged that the system was already so unfair uh, that it was going to be impossible to hold. It was going to be impossible for those elections to be free and fair, and that is a problem with consensus. It's a problem where, whereby some regulations are not upheld uh, or not upheld to a standard that is uh, agreed by everybody and therefore the system becomes weaker. And if I could just tell something to my friends in Angola it would be hold the elections but hold quality elections as well. It's just as important because having, not having one of the opposition, the main opposition party in Mozambique has definitely weakened um, the results of those elections. Um, I have to say that another opposition party, MDM, founded by a previous uh, Renamo leader, uh, performed really well in those elections. So elections have been, uh, the latest municipal elections were in 2018, where the opposition gained significant ground in many areas of the country. Prelimo has uh, historically been very strong in the southern part of Mozambique and a few provinces in the north, including Cabo Delgado, the one I mentioned earlier in terms of violence and extremism. Um, and uh, the opposition parties tend to do pretty well in the central part of Mozambique. And that has been uh, consistent throughout the years, uh, throughout the electoral cycles, actually. Now, in the last elections that happened in September 2019, 
national level elections. For the first time, Mozambique voted for president as usual, uh, the National Assembly or the parliament as usual. And then it voted for the first time uh, at the provincial level. So provincial level governors were elected, um, not directly, but yes, the system allowed for that. Now, that has been really one of those sticking points in Mozambique between, uh, between parties. With uh, Renamo always wanting for more decentralization and power sharing. And um, that has always been uh, one of those points of discussions between the two parties. And, uh, and eventually the legislation was changed in August 2019 to allow for these provincial level um, elections. That was seen as a very positive uh, change. And following that, um, the elections happened in October. However, um, Felimo still won every single um, govern, governor level uh, position. And it, there's been a lot of discussion on the validity of some of, of, uh, of those results, given the fact that they're typically not that um, uh, prominent in, in certain provinces. It also has to be said that. Um, a lot of uh, observers, um, the European Union and local level observers have identified also big weaknesses in terms of uh, the voter register and who was allowed to vote within the elections. So that, that can definitely be improved in Mozambique. So what that teaches the Angolan friends is that the, the, the elections need to be organized in a manner that there's checks and balances throughout the process. It's not just election day, but it's the voter register moment. It's, it's how part, um, candidates are being put forward, how observers are being allowed to observe, whether it's the political party agents or civil society observers, how are they allowed to engage in the system? So having those kinds of checks and balances throughout the system would then have stronger elections later on. Perfect. Um... Can you also um, elaborate on um, the voter registration more so that we know uh, what's the, you mentioned that the sticking uh, point, particularly between the two opposition, uh, the two parties that are opposing, opposing each other. So can you elaborate more on the uh, sticking points? Uh, as well as the Decentralization has really been the sticking point. The point being, if there is more, if power is centralized to greater level, uh, different political parties would then uh, would, would manage or um, govern in specific provinces. Now, the problem with that has been that it has not been achieved, technically, as Felimo has maintained all positions of governor. Uh, previously, the governors were appointed by the president, and the president has always been a Felimo um, member, and therefore they've always been appointed by Felimo. And the idea of this, the concept of this decentralization legislation that was um, adopted by the parliament was to share power. In practice, it has not happened. And then it, question, then it brings to question, how come did that not really happen? Another problem with the or discussion that is actually happening currently in Mozambique, to a certain extent, is um, newly uh, pos new positions that have been created through this legislation. Um, previously, the governor was appointed by the president, I said. 
currently the governor is an elected official. However, the president now has the power to appoint a secretary of state for each province. So the mandate of these two positions is not yet clear. And I think only time will tell if there's overlap. Um, you know, some studies that are looking at how decisions are being made and who makes which decision and who is accountable to who. Because technically the governor is accountable to the provincial assembly, but the secretary of state of each province is accountable to the president. And we really, I really encourage systems to have more accountability between citizens and their officials, the elected officials. So at the local level, it happens in a more natural way instead of having every decision being made in Maputo. And for those who do not know about Mozambique, Mozambique is an incredibly big country. Uh, I like to tell this in every forum that I'm in. If you can drive from Maine to Florida, that's exactly the same uh, distance from the northern part of Mozambique to the southern part of Mozambique. And Maputo, the capital, is really in Florida <laughs> at the very bottom. So just imagine the entire east coast of the US with far less roads. Well, thank you. Um, Mr. Shivakuti, can you also uh, uh, talk about the experience uh, of Angola? and share with us what the, uh, the national elections have been or the sub-national elections uh, or the municipality that uh, can shed light on the uh, democratic uh, reforms or elections reform uh, efforts in Angola. Uh, you can hear me? Hello? I think you, you don't need uh, Oh. Sorry. Okay. Well, th thank you. Uh, I, I, yes, I, I, I heard your question, and I, I think it's important. Also, um, before I can answer your question, take a step back for a second, and mention um, where uh, my colleague Martin just reminded me to, to probably would be uh, useful to share, in particular for those in Washington D.C. who really don't follow Angola every single day. Uh, Secretary Pompeo was in Angola not too long ago. Uh, and, 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 and really be, because Angola is one of the strategic partners, U.S. strategic partners, in addition to South Africa and Nigeria. Uh, so was there and, and, and Mr. Pompeo uh, met with President Lorenzo, I believe, and, and other uh, young Angola officials. Um, and Angola has, um, you know, a long, long, long history um, of, of uh, um, trying to improve its relation with its neighbor. Um, and, and, and right after the, 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 um, the, 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 the end of communism also with the U.S. and the Western states. Um, in terms of elections, uh, it's important to, uh, to remind everyone um, Angola is the only Southern African nation that has not introduced the system of elected local government, local officials. Um, is the only one. And um, that makes Angola uh, probably one of the most centralized uh, government throughout the continent. Um, and later on, I will explain, I will dive into details so you understand what I'm referring to. Um, but there's a, so Angola, we have our first election in 1992, um, I believe, and 
my memory is a little bit fuzzy right now, but it is, I think it's 1992 uh, when we had a first election. We have had three elections so far. And uh, uh, so the, the history of Angola, the elections uh, are no, are not very good, uh, to say the least, because there were always allegations of fraud, and in, including the last one in 2017, which has raised a lot of concerns, and we have to make sure we don't keep making the same mistake. But let's let's look into the local election, for instance, the um, uh, that Angola was never able to implement science since uh, in 45 years. Um, in, uh, in contrast to Mozambique, that uh, they they do have a legal framework, but they also have implemented not just a national but local election as well. So we have had some experience on national level, uh, although as alluded to, it's not the uh, raises a lot of concerns of fair and free elections. Um, but the local election never happened in Angola, and and and. And uh, there were a lot of promise, empty promises made by Angola uh, um, uh, government officials, uh, in particular the, the folks from the ruling part, the People's Movement for the Liberation of Angola, also known as MPLA. Uh, the most recent one was in 2018, uh, when President Lorenzo uh, recommended that local election would be held into 2020, uh, which didn't happen. And, and, and the government has, um, has claimed that the fact it didn't happen because of COVID-19. Uh, so they blame this on, on the COVID-19 health crisis uh, <clears throat> for the lack of implementation. But if we look back into the history, um, Angola history, you will see that there's a number of promises made by uh, MPLA uh, that wasn't uh, starting in 2008 was when the Minister of Territory and Administration stated that the, the, the government election would, uh, would be held in 2011 after the constitutional change in 2010. So that didn't happen. Um, in 2011, the, uh, the same ministry also said local elections would be held in 2014 uh, for general elections, right? Uh, uh, following the general election 2012, uh, <clears throat> that didn't happen as well. And then in 2016, uh, the deputy president, Manuel, Mr. Vicente, he said also that the, the local elections uh, would possibly take place in 2021. Uh, two years later, of course, Jean Lorenzo uh, promised that would be in 2020. Um, so there's this long uh, promise of local local elections in Angola that never happened, um, and 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 of course I mean so it leaves a lot of questions why 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 it's not the Angolan um, government, uh, in particular the ruling party MPLA to hold the elections and and. And there's a lot of speculations, and one of them is that there's there's a, lib, a, a deliberate intent to delay those elections because if once those elections happen, uh, for the first time in Angola history, you may have a shift of power um, on 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 local level. Uh, in other words, because the, the 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 local elections will be will be will be. Uh, 
uh, in other words, people electing for the local official on the local level, and they will have also a, 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 a financial uh, independency. So that may shift the, 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 the political power within Angola. But for, for you to understand why it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's no, I don't want to say complicated, but why the government is, including President Lorenzo, who promised not too long ago, continuously um, trying to delay uh, the local elections, you really have to understand how the, local, how the government works in Angola. So Angola has a full level of government, the national, provincial, municip municipal, and district, comuna, we call comuna, the district. Sorry, uh, do they have uh, term limits in Angola? Well, so the, so there's for, so so the term limits is only for as of now is only for uh, for the for the national election for the president for the presidency on 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 the lower level. So so let me explain this way. So the the last three uh, uh, so there are there are there are four levels of governance, right? So the president basically controls all those three levels the provincial, municip municip municipal, and the district. So the three enjoy the little policy, so they don't have control of the budget, or the, and they don't have autonomy, because they are controlled by, it's a top-bottom uh, uh, approach, or relationship, if, if, if you will. And uh, uh, balance, as, as uh, Mr. Martino was alluding, which is uh, maybe uh, there's some wiggle room in terms of check and balance in uh, Mozambique, but you're saying in uh, Angola there's no such a thing, right? Because the central government appoints all the senior officials, so the president appoints all the senior officials at the, the three levels on a provincial, a municip municipal, and the district level. So, um, uh, so the, so there are there are eighty provinces in Angola, and the, the, the they in turn. So the, 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 the president appoints the 80 governors, and then those governors, uh, the 18 governors, they appoint 164 municipal administrators. Those municipal administrators, they, they appoint 475 uh, administrators at, at the district level. So there's no, so, so, the, so the, there's no relationship between people and those government officials because they are being appointed they they be appointed by by the president and the subnational and, and the governors and and so on and so forth. So they are they are completely remote from the people. They are out of touch because they, they they don't need they don't they don't have to be elected by the people. Now the the local election would change this equation. Would be people on local level electing the local officials. But as of now, that's not the case. And the fact that the elections uh, have uh, decided to be in 2020 uh, by the president. So, so this, what's the 2020 election for our viewers so that they can have uh, an understanding? And Mr. Martino, you can also allude to this because we're also talking about uh, elections, upcoming elections. So when will the upcoming elections be uh, held in Mozambique? Oh. The upcoming elections in Mozambique will be in 2023 for the municipal level and in 2024, again, national level. 
new opportunities are coming to Mozambique because the decentralization legislation has also now allowed for 2024, people will directly vote at the district level. So uh, Mozambique is divided in the same exact levels that uh, Florindo has mentioned, president, national assembly, district, municipal, provincial, right. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, before you were mentioning term limits, and this is something that Mozambique is really proud of and it should, and that uh, every elected president in Mozambique has uh, abided by the term limits about their term, uh, with their term limits. So every president has uh, served two mandates. Um, and this is really good as it's, it's part of our constitution and we are abiding to, uh, and Mozambique is abiding with its own rule of law uh, in, in this instance, which is a great uh, example that could be followed and should be followed also in the, uh, in Angola. Angola has not had uh, exactly the same fortune as uh, President Bushantuj was in power until very recently, uh, for a very long period of time. So and now, this, this, President Lorenzo presents a new opportunity to kind of reboot this uh, Angolan democracy and uh, hold these municipal elections as uh, in Angola as promised. Well, it's not going to happen in 2020, as we are now in uh, September. And in Angola, it would be very difficult to run these elections in, uh, in the rainy season. But there's also many other challenges that are preventing the, the, um, the local elections to really be held. And COVID, yes, it's one of them. COVID is, is providing, it's really a challenge for all elections around the world, not just uh, in Angola. So yes, COVID has been a challenge. Uh, at the same time, I could still argue that there are other steps that Angola still needs to take to make sure that the, 20, the 2021 local elections, I, I want to be positive, um, are of quality and have some consensus and have legislation to back that up as well. Perfect. Uh, in the case of Mozambique, uh, on the municipal level, uh, I want to touch on the issue of uh, Cabo Delgado. And for those who might not know who Cabo Delgado is, maybe you can uh, shed some lights because uh, there's been some uh, uh, violence in it. So if we talk about organizing upcoming elections, so what do you see? Do you see any chance for that happening or what would happen in that uh, area? This is unfortunately, uh, it's just really sad. So for the people that are not following Cabo Delgado, I wouldn't be too surprised, but in 2010, Mozambique, um, or along the shore of Mozambique and Cabo Delgado, a big, um, substantial natural gas deposit was discovered. Natural gas brings a lot of money. Uh, recently, I think a $14 billion debt investment package has been approved for some foreign companies. So, um, it is, Mozambique is an important uh, strategic energy partner for the U.S. Um, so Cabo Delgado is seeing a lot of changes since 2010. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's also mining of uh, important uh, gems, most notably rubies for those who are into gems. And uh, the situation Cabo Delgado has changed, but it hasn't for the majority, uh, the vast majority of people. Uh, they live in extreme poverty, um, with very few economic opportunities, very few opportunities of decision-making at that level. 
um, injustice, um, perception of very deep-rooted corruption and impunity where people with power, whether it's economic power or perhaps political power, have been able to make decisions that have affected citizens deeply, such as perhaps um, some land disputes and things like that. So capital gain has seen lots of changes, but not really. Now the changes, economic changes are really seen in Maputo in the capital where you can really see that um, the country has developed, but really it has developed in Maputo in the capital. So Cabo has now had this three, four year long civil unrest or violent extremism elements. In Mozambique, they call them insurgents. Um, the situation has escalated significantly uh, since I was last there, unfortunately. In 2019, the elections took place. Uh, however, I think 10 polling stations could not open as if there was just not enough security for such, uh, for either the ballots and also for citizens to come up and uh, vote. Uh, well, this is not just an election issue, it's really a human issue. Uh, there's a lot of international, internally displaced people, um, towns, villages are being burned. Um, to the ground, there's people running to different towns and now different provinces as well, uh, with nothing but, I mean, with nothing really. Um, there has been disappearances and arrests of journalists who try to report on the situation. Uh, there has been um, discoveries of mass graves at this point. So the situation is definitely not good. And if it continues, it's gonna, it's gonna be really hard for the government to be able to hold the elections in Cabo Delgado if the situation continues to evolve in such a negative and a violent way. Okay. okay. Uh, Florinda, can you touch more on the issue of the pandemic and how the government and uh, Rwanda has been uh, handling it? And also if you can talk about the issue of the uh, corruption, because the former president's uh, daughter was uh, involved in some corruption deals in DeSantis. So if you can uh, elaborate that and, and also see, you know, contrast that with the current president and his efforts uh, to, um, to, you know, to tackle or to fight uh, corruption. Yes, um, and I think this is, this is a very, it's important question uh, because this is where, uh, this is the type of question folks in DC, Washington DC, ask all the time and or tend to comment on, on it all the time the fight against corruption. But let me uh, ask you a uh, question in regard to the COVID-19. I think the Angolan government has done um, its best in order to prevent uh, the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic in Angola. Uh, they, they, uh, they have implemented policies from the beginning uh, to prevent uh, the widespread of the, 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 the virus in Angola. Uh, there's no doubt the only problem, uh, and probably that I'm not sure if they, it was a, a really lack of communication or probably just the way the, the institutions sometimes don't function as they were supposed to. Um, there was a, a, a number of uh, civilians who have been killed in Angola uh, for very simple reason, for not wearing a mask, for instance. Um, the late, uh, and, and, and just too many. Uh, and the, the most recent one is a doctor who uh, was driving um, uh, to work in a hospital to, and he, he was stopped and detained because he wasn't wearing a mask inside of his car. Uh, 
and 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 but the police officer was really following the the orders right this is a law in angola that was that was passed in and and they, he was trying to reinforce the the law which uh uh prohibits anyone who's in the car alone uh not to wear if you know where in other words if you know where a mask in your car you can be stopped and you can be fined if you don't have if you don't pay you go to jail for that and and unfortunately uh there's a daughter that was killed and and too many too many uh, and I, I wish the uh president lorenzo would would come out and speak in regard to this issue the killing of civilians uh because of uh lack of uh, mask or an attempt to the police uh force trying to reinforce the laws that were enacted by his government uh but to, to another hand it was uh, it was able to was able to implement good policies as well that prevented this widespread in, in Africa. Uh, our neighbors in South Africa, they definitely have far more cases in comparison with Angola and Namibia. Um, and, and I hope stays that way or even uh, the, the lower, the, the one life is too many to uh, for, for us to lose regardless of where they are. Uh, now, in regard to corruption, it's it's a uh, it's quite an interesting case. So, in one hand, President Jean Lorenzo have made promise to fight against corruption. Now, it's important to be fair and to say President Dos Santos have made the same promise several times, and we know the what was the outcome, right? So, the, as 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 he was making this promise, he was also sacking the country. Um, so, I, I will say I will wait to see. Uh, what he has accomplished so far, President Lorenzo, in the fight against corruption. And corruption is important to talk about because it can lead us to fair, fair and, 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 and peaceful elections as well. Uh, because it's through corruption where uh, organizations who got paid um, under the table or through very obscure means, like the, 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 the company in Spain that was providing the, the election material, who has been a serious allegation, uh, including friends of Angola, we have issued letters for the Spain government to investigate it. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the deals with the US, the Angolan government by providing uh, ballots and other um, electoral information that no one really knew how many ballots were provided and, 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 and how many machine and how they work and so on and so forth. But, so, but there are certain things that President Lorenzo has, uh, has been implemented in terms of, of corruption. For instance, he gave uh, uh, a time frame for everyone who wanted, who's willing to uh, to return the money that's been stolen uh, in, 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 in from Angola to return the money, uh, and they would be they would have some sort of amnesty, right? Forgiveness, if you will. Um, now the result is is not clear as well because we don't know how much money the Angolan government was able to acquire through this program of of uh, of, of um, uh, amnesty. Uh, there's also allegations that President Lorenzo is going after uh, Dos Santos and his family, in particular his family, uh, to be more specific, Isabel, and leaving uh, even people who also were part of the. Uh, 
the, the, the robbery, it's a robbery, they suck the country billions of dollars. Uh, we talk about uh, the former Vice President Emmanuel Vicente, who's very close to President Lorenzo and, and it's raising a lot of eyeballs and people are questioning, how can you go after Isabel but you not going after uh, uh, Manuel Vicente who is, is really one of the mastermind of, 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 uh, of, uh, the, of, the, of the, the corruption in Angola. Uh, including General Kupelipa and 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 General, um, um, I, I don't recall her his name right now, but it's so there's a number of generals who they are well known within Angolan society and in, outside that they they haven't been held accountable, and that's the, that's the issue. That's why people are questioned. But he, he, he managed to go after uh, Isabel dos Santos. He managed to go after certain individuals, uh, and 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 we have seen the results. And I guess the only issue we are questioned right now is uh, is the lack of transparency within this fight against corruption, as well as the the persecution um, of the individuals who also were part of the Angola intercircle. Who, who who still today, no one knows whether they're gonna be ever be held accountable. So the question here for both of you is, um, does the uh, legislature play the oversight role in um, Angola or uh, Mozambique? Because it seems like these are issues that uh, the legislature, or the parliament maybe have a role to uh, hold the executive branch accountable. I'm going to take that first, but I'm, I still want to answer something about corruption in Angola. It's uh, too much of, a, of an issue for me to be quiet. Listen, and corruption cannot be eliminated by one person, no matter who the person is. Corruption um, in many countries is endemic and it's in many, 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 many areas of the country. Um, areas that one person cannot have eyes everywhere, obviously. Uh, it takes time. Um, it cannot be one day you have corruption or one day you're a country without corruption free. So that doesn't also happen. Um, I have to highlight the great work of journalists in Angola and with support of international community or international journalists in uncovering um, some of the stories um, and allegations against the Santos family. Things that have been uh, discussed even in Angola before, but then really compiled um, and brought together. And those were the Luanda leaks, which uh, Florinda and I talked about even in a previous panel. Uh, well, I listened to Florinda talk about that. And um, it's, uh, it, that just shows that uh, no matter how much the central government wants to eradicate corruption, um, the fight against corruption cannot be only led by the central government. It requires a strong legislator, which I'm getting to your question, Professor. It requires very strong media and freedom for media to really operate. It requires very strong um, civil society over, for oversight. So my plug would be, don't, don't rely on one, uh, on one branch of the government to uh, er eradicate corruption. It needs to be a, a, it cannot just be a top-down approach. It needs to be a bottom-up approach. And for strong legislatures, which brings me to the next question of oversight in Mozambique, you need competition. 
competition between parties uh, having is really important because if the two parties are really competitive and close to each other, close together in terms of numbers, it makes the other, whoever is in power, go faster, go better, right? It's a, it's a race to maintain power. It's a very healthy race to maintain power when you perform well. Um, so if, if I look back in Mozambique in 1994, the um, ratio between uh, uh, Frelimo and opposition parties uh, Frelimo had 52% of the seats in parliament. So a very small ma majority, but nonetheless a majority. What that meant is that there was discussion between the two parties. What that meant was that uh, they needed to, to really dialogue. It wasn't um, Frelimo control, controls at all. And when you have strong parties, you have a strong parliament, then you can have oversight. Um, right now, um, Frelimo has 74% of the of the seats in parliament. Uh, in my opinion, um, it's not just a question of numbers, but it's a question of so what, right? So it's, uh, the numbers oscillate throughout the legislatures, right? Prelimo was at 76, then it went down to 58%. So these things are changeable. And, uh, and that's what's the beauty of a democracy. Nothing is, stationary or, or it has to remain the same. So what I would say is to have a strong oversight body, you need strong parties uh, to have strong candidates out there. And these parliamentarians cannot just be parliamentarians who sit in Maputo. I would really advocate for greater relations between parliamentarians um, and the rest of the country and visiting really the country and finding solutions, whether they're in opposition or in power. Because the ideas do not come just from one party. Um, no matter uh, where they sit uh, in the parliament or how many seats they have. So I really uh, welcome the fact that there are debates in the parliament. The parliament is uh, operating procedures are improving every day, I think. There is live streaming of some of the sessions and things like that. So that, those are positives within the, the system in Mozambique. However, um, there's still a little bit more to be done, and that cannot really be done without the parties. Right, right. Uh, Florindo, would you say that also the uh, is there some transparency in terms of uh, making these uh, debates in the parliament or the, uh, kind of televised or you know at least stream live like uh, Mozambique in Angola? I think you you have to unmute. Yes, so um, Angola, it's very interesting in Angola in terms of the relation between the parliament and the executive power. So, um, well, let's force the MPLA uh, has the majority in, in parliament, meaning he, they can pass any bill without support of any other political party. And that has been for, I, I think, for as far as I remember, that has been the, the same way for, for decades. Um, so there's not really much of uh, in balance of power or checks and balance, if you will, in a parliament. That's unfortunate, but that's, that's, that's the reality. It's a fact, right? I, I cannot reinvent that. So um, uh, now, 
the in terms of streaming on TV, uh, for a very long time during Pres uh, President Dos Santos, he was very resistant to to share uh, to stream uh, the parliament session in, in on television. Um, it, there were never there, there was a time where they, I think they stream a little bit, but then for decades they stopped streaming uh, parliament, parliamentarian sessions in on, on television. And people would say, you know, why can't we have you know a Sunday mass from Catholic Church on Sundays, but we cannot have the parliament sessions? And government would say, well, because we don't have enough money. So, so uh, and and so that was. But for the for. For President Lorenzo's credit, he changed that, right? So he changed that. He, and, and this is, um, for the last time when I checked, uh, the, the uh, Angolan uh, parliament sessions were about to, or already streamed in, in, in TV. I was in Angola last year and I was talking to someone and that, that, was, that was a big news. Now there's a one problem though, the, the, during Dos Santos era, Dos Santos, he passed a law prohibiting the parliament to uh, to, uh, to ask question or to to, uh, uh, to to question anything related to executive power. Uh, so they're not scrutin. There's nowhere. So the parliament cannot call a anyone went to the executive power and say, you need to answer questions to us in regard to this issue. So there's no accountability. Um, and, and, oversight body. I'm sorry? There's no an oversight body, you say. There's no oversight body, and the parliament is the one who was used to play that role. And the, the Santos uh, uh, took that power from, from, from the parliament, and the parliament basically is useless, right? He cannot ask questions, cannot hold the government accountable. Now, President Lorenzo, we were hoping he could change that, but he didn't. Until today, and, and, and until today we are waiting, we are hoping, that President Lorenzo will good sense will prevail, and he will he will, he will definitely. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that he ever promised. He never Lorenzo never promised. Promise, President Lorenzo never promised that would that would reverse this law. But because of promises he has made in regard to uh, holding democratic values uh, and fight against corruption in Angola, so we hoped that he would reverse that law. So the parliament could be once again invested with the power to to oversight to or to to question the executive power whenever needed. Um, as of now, unfortunately, um, no one can ask questions to executive power, and it, it's it's it feels like it's almost like one man rule. This brings me to my next question, uh, which is uh, what's the role of the civil society or uh, the other opposition party, I know in both countries, they, uh, Ms. Martini was saying that they need to, they need to be um, a counter opposition party that they could hold the, the two opposing parties accountable so that they could at least have a share of the, uh, the seats in the parliament. So in the case of uh, uh, Luanda and Angola, what do you see that if, if this is the picture you have, uh, you know, depicted so what is the hope is the civil society pushing back or, or 
if if there's any other political parties that could at least hold him accountable some way so that he could uh, fulfill uh, the promises that he uh, you know he promised the nation in in Angola and the same of course with you uh, Ms. Martina so why don't you start first Ms. Martina in Mozambique right I think I missed part of the question. I had some technical difficulties. Oh, um, perhaps, William, you can go first, and I can see what you're answering. Yeah, I meant the uh, what are this? What's the role of the civil society in both countries and political parties in terms of holding the executive uh, branch accountable? So that in the case of Angola, the President Joao Lourenço promised all these reforms. But based on what we've heard from uh, uh, Mr. Shivakuti, he hasn't fulfilled those promises. Now, uh, the same question we ask you, uh, Ms. Martina, what did uh, President Felipe promise or non-promise, or are you satisfied with the status quo? Um, so I here I'm gonna make a an important plug for the role that civil society in Mozambique, the role that civil society in Mozambique has played. Um, it's, it's been, uh, it's been, their role has been growing throughout the years. Um, uh, they manage important projects from in different sectors. Uh, they provide really a lot of support. But here I would like to talk about the democracy and governance civil societies that are always struggling with funds and they're covering corruption and they're really putting themselves out there. I would like to, I, their work is extremely important in providing some checks and balances in, in Mozambique. So throughout the electoral process, for instance, Mozambique and civil societies always provide a certain level of voter education and civic education, which I think is very important. And, um, and also they are important election monitors and they've always been in Mozambique election monitors for the, during election day. Now in 2019, uh, just before the elections, uh, an important uh, civil society activist was murdered outside of Maputo as he was just finishing one of these trainings. He got into his car and then he was murdered. Uh, the people that um, um, shot him uh, were caught as they had a car accident as they were escaping and they turned out to be police, members of the police force. Now there's been a trial and they have been held accountable. Uh, what, what this shows is that civil society in Mozambique performs an incredible role. Uh, some of them face um, intimidation, um, and some people have now paid with their life. And, and this creates a system where people are a little bit scared to speak out, intimidation. Uh, whether it's happening to me, I know that it or not, or it's happening to somebody else, or which organization is being threatened, or something like that, they know that the ultimate price that is feasible now is uh, the, is um, death. So that has created, especially after the, um, the elections, there was a bit more apprehension. But I have to say that people are very courageous. The people that love democracy are they never give up. I think so. I am very proud of the role that civil society has played over the years in Mozambique, and that is also thanks to the support of the international community that has really supported civil society uh, in Mozambique for a long time. Now, going to par parties, there's a lot that they can do to hold the, the executive accountable. So Florinda was mentioning how political parties in Angola 
the opposition has a hard time holding the government accountable, the executive accountable, I should say. Um, what I saw in 2019 was uh, during the State of the Nation uh, speech that the president uh, gives yearly in parliament, the opposition party um, had a little scoring system for some of the statements that President Lorenzo made. And I think he referred to some roads that were not, he referred to some roads and said, okay, this road has been completed. And they lifted their yellow card, meaning not quite there. Some statements were maybe uh, deemed as incorrect. So there was a red card going up. Um, I thought it was a very vi visual way of making people understand the population at large understand that maybe some promises have not really been kept. And that provided a contrast live really for people to watch. And I thought it was very an ingenious and smart way of, of uh, sending a message. Uh, perhaps that's something that even in other part, in other countries can do. <laughs> and uh, I think there's always ways to have your voice heard. And uh, what we should all be thriving and working on is how to make those voices even more heard and given more opportunities for such things. Great. Uh, Mr. Shifukuti, same question, please. Yes, uh, so the, the, so the political, the, the, the civic society in Gala, um, based on my previous experience and by talking to, uh, not just uh, Martina, but other folks who are from Mozambique. It looks like Mozambique has far a more stronger civic society than we do in Angola. Now, it's not to say that we don't have one. We do have one, and they are extremely courageous uh, people, ordinary folks who uh, they believe that it's important to be part of the democratic system uh, regardless of the risk they 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 take every single day, uh, that change will not come on a vacuum. That they have to engage in order to bring a lasting change. So, and there are women, there are men, and there are youth, and and I know a lot of them, and I work with some of them, and I know how courageous. And, and determined they are and persistent they are. I, I know that. Unfortunately, it's a small segment of the population. Now, it used to be even smaller. It's it's actual growing right now. And uh, and and there's not a lot of resources for civic society organizations, individuals uh, in in Angola. There's 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 almost none. The government by I think by law. They, uh, they were supposed to finance uh, or provide some some sort of uh, funds for local NGOs for the formal ones, but it's I think they have been reversed. I'm not quite sure. But as far as I remember, I haven't seen any NGO saying, "Well, we have received money from the government, let's say, to educate folks on how to uh, to you know prevent." Uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic in our communities. Um, just to give you an example, no. Um, and, and so there's, there's the most of them in, during the Santos era was the, the Santos managed to create a different civil society 
uh, that was supporting him, he would give funds to those organizations, but not for the organizations that would question uh, his uh, inability to run the country uh, on benefits of everyone uh, within Angola. Now, right now, definitely there's more space, I would say, for uh, President Lorenzo credit, a little bit more than it used to be with President Dos Santos, but it's we still a long way to go. And I will be, to be more specific, uh, local organizations and international organizations have a hard time to register to get a license. Friends of Angola has been waiting for a year or more than a year to get a license to, to operate in Angola. No, by law, we can because we have followed the, all the legal steps and we have submitted all the documentation, but the same can be said for local organizations. Uh, but with the support, and this is where I'm going to borrow from, from Martina, right? So uh, the, the, this is the right, the right time for the US to invest in democracy in Angola. Not just in the US, but any, any country, any government who believe that democracy, although it has its flaws, but it's, it's the best way of governance thus far. And, and, and democracies tend not to be in war with each other. Uh, they tend to embrace more human rights in comparison with, with other types of governance. And, and, and this is extremely important because we, we have a large young population in Angola who they, in contrast to their parents, they, they want to change, they want to change now, and they ask questions, and they have the, all the right to ask questions, and they have all the right, because they, can, they have dreams just like any, any youth in Washington, of, in the street of Washington, D.C., or, 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 or in Virginia. They have that right to dream, right? To have access to education, the good health equality. They do have that right. And it's a, it's a, it's a responsibility uh, of the government in power to, make the, to do their best to create those basic service and make sure that everyone has equal opportunity to excel uh, within their community. Now, in regard to political power, polit uh, political parties, which can also be included on, on civic society, but sometimes I prefer to, to unpack and turn them, put them in different boxes. Uh, they, 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 uh, so when I was referring to the parliament not being effective, which is true, they, they are very ineffective because they lost the power to be effective. The, the opposition power with the little resources they have they have to do their best, there's no doubt. Um, with more resources, they probably can do more, absolutely. Um, can, should the US invest not just in civic society groups, but also in political parties in Angola, if the law permits and it went in the legal Angolan framework? Absolutely, there's no doubt. Um, and, but the inverse is, we, is seeing the Angola going backwards, uh, because today we have not just the US and its ally, but we also have China competing for power within the continent, including Angola. Uh, so we could very well see a, 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 a we going back backwards rather than going forwards in terms of implementing the democratic values that we would like to see in Angola. And I think that's important. Uh, 
not just for the political parties, but for uh, for civil society mm. overall. And uh, and I, I think President Lorenzo he also stated uh, that he, he he believes in democratic values, which is waiting to, for him to uh, uh, to to make sure that those words will translate into actions. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we have questions from the audience. I would like to take it to some of these questions and then uh, we can answer some of the uh, thoughts that you both still have within the questions that um, the, uh, the audience have raised here uh, from uh, Facebook. So um, the question is uh, to Martina from uh, Nicholas uh, Cook, but also to uh, Florinda, but Ms. Martina first. In Mozambique, how independent is the administrative and judicial systems that judge election disputes? And uh, there's a widespread of perception that the 2019 election dispute process was far from fair and credible. What do you say to that, Ms. Martina? The judicial system uh, independence is uh, something that is questioned, I think, everywhere in Africa and not just in Mozambique. Um, this is definitely a weakness in the system that we have right now. Um, greater independence of the judiciary, but also um, it's not something easy to achieve, but it can be done. So what I can, whether the process was flawed or not, um, there are many, many reports. I would recommend people maybe reading the European Union report that is uh, available in English. and. Um, they really lay out the fact that cases were put in, either processed or not processed, but anyway, the case was dismissed. So that doesn't create um, fairness in the system. Um, if people cannot trust, whether the system was good or not, or the laws were followed or not, if people cannot trust it, if the parties cannot trust it and citizens cannot trust it, then the system is weak. So what I would recommend is greater judicial independence. Uh, I would recommend uh, greater transparency when the cases are, um, are being processed, greater transparency on the decisions. Sometimes the decisions are like a one-liner. They're not really publicly available. And um, I think that would be important. But at the same time, I have to say that political parties um, in Africa overall have had the had that challenges in providing enough proof and evidence for these cases. So this is where um, IRI has worked um, in several countries in Africa in, uh, in terms of party agent training and how to collect data. And it's not just for a case, um, in case something bad happens, but also to provide data on how to, um, where are the deficiencies in the system? Sometimes some polling stations open late. That doesn't mean it's fraudulent. It just means that perhaps it was really rainy that day. And Mozambique is a very big country where uh, these uh, natural um, occurrences can happen. And then perhaps that it can teach us, well, we should have the elections in a different month. Maybe. So it's not everything that is, well, we need to remove fraud or everything is fraudulent. It's about finding solutions that have the consensus of everybody um, right. in, um, in the country. Right, right. Uh, so... Um Shifukute, Nicholas' uh, second part of the question is to you about Angola. What are the issues that are necessary for supporting the legislation in order to conduct local elections? A uh, similar need was cited in some past ele uh, elections and led to year, uh, years-long election delays and was seen by critics 
as an excuse by the government not to hold the election that it might not win. Uh, right, and, and I'm, I'm assuming he's referring to the local elections um, that has been delayed. Um, uh, so, so in regard to the, to the first part of the question, which is the support of how can you support the, the parliament? Um, you know, I, I, I think institutions like IRI, NDI, and, and, and um, Friends of Angola and so many other institutions within the US, uh, even the U.S. government, um, I, I think they should work with the, 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 the members of parliament, regardless of which political party they belong to, to empower them. Uh, when I say empower, I'm really referring to uh, just adding into more tools into their toolboxes that can allow them to to play their role, which is uh, watchdog, right? Which is making sure they are translating the, the, the policies they are, they are creating, it translates into people's wish, right? They're not creating laws that are completely out of touch with people uh, they, are, they, they, they are ruling. Um, and, and, and also work of the pres uh, President Lorenzo. Uh, and I hope President Lorenzo understands that on the long run, he too has to gain if he embraces those democratic values, uh, because the absence of that is a real chaos. And we have seen that throughout the history. And, and, and we wanna make sure once President, President Lorenzo leaves the power, he, the transition will be peaceful and he can go ahead and, and enjoy the rest of his, his life without worrying, uh, be prosecutor, as as President Dos Santos right now for the crimes he's committed, uh, um, uh, endless crime against humanity, the killing uh, of innocent people. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's just, just, it's just no, it's just that that's it's no, it's not sustainable. Uh, to the second part of the question, in regard to. Uh, 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 to the elections. Well, I mean, the delay of local elections, you really have to look into what the, the, this, this long journey, including the constitutional, uh, the, constitu the constitution in Angola. So the constitutional is very clear, uh, including the one we have right now, that I think it was, it was uh, enacted uh, in 2010, uh, which is uh, reaffirms the commitment to the, to the basic principles which is uh, the the, uh, the 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 creating a local government, right? On I mean, uh, uh, <clears throat> the local elections, uh, but of course, I mean, since since 1975, we had a number of of issues in Angola, which is fair to mention that they also delayed the the, the implementation of a lot of policies, including probably. Uh, Elections. We had a civil war that lasted almost three decades. Uh, of course, I mean, uh, the, the, we also had to make a transition for a single-party system to a multi-party system. Um, and and and, but the reality is that we had enough chances to uh, implement those elections, the local elections. And they never happen. And that's how um, this is leaving a lot of questions open whether uh, President Lorenzo, he has indeed committed to democratic values, including uh, 
creating the legal framework, which is basically what's missing, the legal framework to implement the local policies. And the legal framework can only happen uh, if, only if the MPLA, who, which the party that has the majority in, 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 in parliament decides to, to, to pass this bill that was supposed to pass in August of this year, um, uh, in order to for, for us to have local elections for the first time in our history, 19, since we became independent in 1975. Okay, so this is a good segue. Could I just jump in here? Because while the question was on the legislation needs, I think that what I've noticed in Mozambique is that the, the provincial, the decentralized election law was passed really quickly, implemented, um, and then people were like, what are these secretary of state positions that were created? Who created them? Why was there no debate on this law? Because our parliament requires by law, uh, debate and time between uh, different readings of the law, which was kind of rushed because people really, um, the government really wanted to sign a peace deal with Renamo as Renamo was engaged in, the, in conflict in the center of Mozambique. So I understand the urgency of creating laws and passing laws quickly because you want to, you want peace in your country. So at the same time, I would urge the Angolan uh, friends that laws are very easy to draft. Consensus around the laws is very important and sometimes requires more time, making sure that it's the right law, that it's not a law that is copy paste from somewhere else. Now laws are, while laws might be simple, consensus maybe could be simple, there are many issues in Angola that are still being debated. Is it gonna be gradual? Is it gonna be done in a gradual manner? Is it gonna be done in a few uh, provinces and then in others? This is still being debated by parties. And sometimes it's good to have a mediator, whether it's a civil society, a local partner or an international partner that can mediate these discussions to try and get to some consensus because it's very easy sometimes to, this is my position, this is my position and then uh, consensus can be hard. Another thing is um, that I've noticed around the continent and actually beyond is that parties are just not really that um, used to running at a local level. So because power has always been centralized in the capital, uh, political parties tend to discuss national level issues, while when they're running at the local level, they should be discussing also local level issues. Uh, how they select the people that run in those local levels is just as important. So internal party democracy, to have a meaningful uh, local level elections, the political parties need to start putting in place systems internally to start selecting their candidates in a, in a fair manner, um, to start um, discussing how to communicate at the local level and uh, to then compete in those places. Because sometimes, well, what happens is, well, I ran on this, um, Maybe my position is, well, I'm just running for the environment, the environment, the environment. It doesn't resonate. I do not win. I'm in the, I've just created my own party. And then I say, well, the elections were rigged. Well, maybe I also didn't run the perfect campaign for the local level. So I think supporting the political parties on shifting to a local level system as well is going to be very uh, important. Very good. So uh, Woody uh, Masamba, asked, has Angola or Mozambique ever held a peace and reconciliation process? 
This practice has proven to be effective in terms of fostering power sharing in some countries. And uh, the question, I believe, is addressed to uh, books. So who want to go first? Florinda, why don't you go first? Oh. Unless you want to go first. Let's <clears throat> Well, so so um, the Truth and Recon Reconciliation Program, of, as we like to call them, TRC, are extremely important, and 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 I'm glad Rudy asked this question um, because we have seen in South Africa, we have seen in 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 Rwanda, uh, they they also um, and this is not a new concept. There are some places I think around they call Gachacha. Uh, there's other names that are used in order to have a truth reconciliation after a long war um, or even after um, uh, some sort of uh, um, uh, um, I think cleansing or, or, or something else within the country. Uh, unfortunately, in Angola, we never had a truth reconciliation and we had a lot of grievances um, and 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 uh, one of one of one of the well-known grievances that we have in Angola, in addition to a long civil war that lasted almost three decades, we had a Vincente de Mayo, uh, the nineteen uh, the 1970s, uh, the MPLA had a purge in his party. Um, hundreds, I mean, literally hundreds of people, uh, I mean, from were killed. Until today, uh, you go to any, you Google Vincent Mayer, uh, uh, May 27 in Angola, you will find a bunch of articles, uh, including the most recent ones, families begging. Uh, they, they want a closure. They want to know what happened to their loved ones, where, where they were buried, uh, what happened to them. Um, uh, we had in 1992, I was, I remember, gosh, I mean, bombers is dropping. People were killed, number, number, endless of number of people, including members of my family. Until today, there's no disclosure. So we have a lot of grievances. Uh, the, the President Lorenzo, he promised to uh, bring some sort of closure about Vincent de Mayo, uh, May 9th, 27th. 1977's uh, purge uh, within the MPLA, uh, but so far I haven't seen anything um, that has been implemented. But the truth of reconciliation is important because it's uh, it's one way for uh, a country like Angola uh, to heal the wounds. We have a lot of wounds. We have a lot of grievances. And I think it would really not just bring certain closure for those who have lost their families. And until today, they don't know where they are. Um, and, uh, and also really to understand the new generation, where we come from, uh, and make sure we don't repeat the same mistakes that we have repeated and we have made in the past. Uh, I think it will be extremely beneficial I, just, just to, uh, for everyone, uh, not to assign blames. That's not the purpose of of truth and reconciliation, but to 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 know the truth. What happened? Why so many people were killed in the circumstances they were killed? And where are they? Uh, where are they? Uh, were they thrown in the river? Were they thrown in the ocean? Where were they buried somewhere? The families have the right to know. Uh, and I hope, I, I do really do that one day the 
uh, Africa is still going to be in a power one day. Uh, we'll have the, the political will uh, to, with civil society as well, so we can have this truth of reconciliation and we can move forward as a nation. I mean, such a good question. I, I think we should have a whole uh, discussion on this in a separate panel, actually, because it's something that is not really discussed much in Mozambique, no. I'll be honest. Um, for a country that went to decades of civil war, to it not be much of a topic, uh, begs the question. I remember the, in the 1992, when the first peace, uh, peace agreement was signed um, in Rome, between Florima Renamo or the government at Renamo, um, President Shisano, who, who was then elected president in 94, he said that reconciliation was the responsibility of every Mozambican. There was national level amnesty, there were some traditional healing and cleansing rituals at the local level. Now, the truth part was never really discussed. Um, and uh, which then brings me to today and Cabo Delgado, unfortunately. Because right now there's already, will we know the truth of what is happening in Cabo Delgado? Um, with the fact that some journalists have disappeared, with, some, with the fact that journalists have been arrested, will, do we even know the truth now? And will we know it later? There's mass graves, there's allegations of human rights abuses. There's allegations that both the insurgents and the, um, the government in their response are being, um, are violating people's human rights. They are, people are being going to a village and just the entire village is either guilty or innocent and that cannot be happening. So will we know, will there be truth and reconciliation that for Cabo Delgado once uh, this conflict, I hope, ends? It's something that deserves a lot more discussion. Uh, I'm more interested, uh, it's very hard to have reconciliation without truth, but at the same time, I can say that Mozambique really put a lot of effort in creating a positive environment after 1992, once the peace deal was signed. And uh, that is demonstrated by the fact that even with the, the conflict between Felima and Renamo that has been occurring over the years now, um, it has not really escalated to the level that it, it once was. And because people do not want war. Um, people are really tired of the word uh, conflict and they do not want to. They want to prosper in their own country. They want to live freely. Uh, after the peace deal, I think 1.7 million refugees came back to Mozambique uh, from neighboring countries. And it's really a testament of how much people believed that things were going to be better. Um, and I, I really hope that we go, get, go back to a state of peace for the whole country. Uh, Valerie uh, Nagib, I believe, uh, asks the questions of uh, what are the two uh, top priorities, democratic uh, priorities, for which international communities must focus on for Angola and why? Is there a Florinda? Yes, um, I, I think the first one will be the, uh, the implementation of local elections. Uh, it will be the first time that we're going to, uh, Angolans will have the opportunity to elect a local official who is going to be held accountable by the people, uh, not by the, someone, the president, but by the people. Um, and it's extremely important. Uh, it's important for democracy. It's important because there is um, 
the reason why we have a lot of issues in Angola, Angola is a great nation with a lot of natural resources, but its most important asset is the people. Angolan people are the most important asset. Uh, and, and, but then we need to invest in the people and we need to make sure we get the basic uh, needs. And, and, and some of those needs are not met because those folks, they don't feel that they, they have to explain or be held account by anyone because they have to respond to someone on the top, not to the people who were this, they supposed to, uh, to, 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 to work for. Now, uh, the second one, I would say a constitutional reform. Uh, we need a constitution in Angola that uh, it, it's, it's better than we have right now. The first constitution we had uh, after the collapse, after we the, the Marxist-Leninist regime, or after the, the we, we uh, uh, the, the 1919 or 1992, if my memory says me well, it probably was one of the best constitution we ever had. Um, and then uh, President Luis Santos decided to change his constitution because he wanted to stay longer in the power, uh, as as you as as the you know uh, one do one you know he, he he changed the constitution that was 2010. It's just awful. It's just not a really good constitution. Uh, it doesn't really uh, reflect the 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 the, the consensus. Uh, of of uh, all segments or most of segments of Angolan population, so we need to change that. That's the second thing I think we we should change in Angola, and will be good not just for Angolans but also for the democratic process as well. The other question is, I, I, would, I think yeah, I'm going to agree with Polindo for the most part, especially with priority number one, the local elections, the legislation, having consensus having accreditation for political parties that seem to, um, there's some challenges there right now, having registration for civil society and their role during the electoral process, and also uh, the media. And, and then I would put the second priority actually as investing in media and civil society. Uh, Mozambique has, has gotten um, some results. Uh, I have to say that the US government in the last five years have in, has invested, I think, at least 11 million, um, dollars uh, in this sector and zero in Angola. And I'm going to say that I think it would be money well spent right now in Angola. It's really worth it. The President Lorenzo is trying to implement some reforms. So I think he cannot do them by himself. I, I couldn't agree more, uh, Martina. I, I think, I think you, 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 you're right, you're absolutely right. It's important to invest in the media. In particular, right now, that uh, we we the only TV station that supposedly was private, the government took over as well, some other few radio station, and today more than before, the the freedom of press in Angola is extremely limited, and I think I think it's important to invest on it. I, I agree. Okay, the second part of the uh, I mean Woody Masambo's question is. Uh, in terms of non-democratic regimes, that obvi uh, obviously most of the time, like uh, Martina has said, across some of the other countries, uh, resist uh, change because they have so much to lose. So what are the sum of the incentives that will encourage MPLA and Forlimo to accept reforms? I am perhaps going to try and speak to both. And it's um, competition is the only incentive. It's one of the few incentives that would make um, parties reform, competitions from other parties. So if you raise 
the quality of all parties to increase competition and and therefore parties internally will want to reform. I have spoken to political party members of from all parties in Mozambique and actually they're all very, I have to say they're all really interested in that. They're all really interested in improving their own party and that's important. It, uh, it demonstrates that elections are actually still the way people are compete for power and that gives me hope every day. Uh, and I would say citizens, the second answer is, and especially young people. In Mozambique, I've seen some young people forming parties. Um, and uh, it, uh, it shows that there is momentum. People are interested in taking decision-making into their, um, having opportunities for decision-making. And I think it's a very healthy um, demonstration of democracy when people still believe in it and create parties or create civil societies and are out there uh, peacefully protesting. And uh, I think that is gonna, um, bring change. It doesn't happen overnight. I, Rudy might be watching and thinking, what is Martinez thinking? It's not going to happen tomorrow, uh, but it will happen. And it does happen everywhere in the world. And history has taught us that. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we are running over time by two minutes. So I would like us to uh, conclude the discussion, which is very energetic. And uh, of course, people can continue to uh, uh, pose their questions and hopefully our panelists can answer them at a later time. So um, any concluding remarks? Why don't you go first, Ms. Martina? This is always the hardest part, I feel, because there's still so much to be discussed and I wish we always had more time. I think on concluding remarks, I would, uh, I would say that the Mo Mozambican history has shown that you can have elections every in five years or you can have civil society and media play an important role. Um, and it also teaches us that little investment goes a long way. It gives people courage, it gives people partnerships, it gives people uh, opportunities to speak. And it gives, and by people I mean people in Angola or people in Mozambique. And that is very important. Change will not come from, a, from outside and it shouldn't. Uh, but finding partners that really um, understand the situation on the ground is very important. And at the end of the day, uh, while we're talking about democracy, um, democracy will flourish when, when things are fair. And therefore, the, when people talk about, well, we only care about corruption, you cannot, because if the system is corrupt, a specific political party or a specific person will gain resources that then they can inject inside the electoral system as well. You're creating an competition that is not fair. And when people see that it's not fair and that their life doesn't move forward, conflict can return in these countries, like we've seen in Mozambique. And it can be different forms of um, violence. So I would really, uh, I would like to thank every single activist out there in Mozambique. And IRI has the privilege of working with civil society and also political parties. And I would like to encourage parties to keep doing their, their, their work, their important work, all parties. And not to be waiting for the elections, but to really be active throughout the electoral period. Be active now in Mozambique for electoral reforms that are meaningful and have consensus and people are aware of. Because we tend to work on elections the day before and do everything last minute and then we leave the citizens behind. So I always look at it as, we have the government, we have citizens, we have civil society and media, 
that's important for an election. Uh, you cannot just work on one thing and then, uh, and political parties are in the middle of this. So I guess it's a triangle, what I've described now, but it's, it's really working with all sectors of society and stakeholders. And I cannot wait to see um, Angola's democracy advance. Thank you. Mr. Shifukuti. Yes, well, uh, I, I just like to say to everyone who's watching this um, webinar to please do your homework before you speak about anything in regard to Angola. In particular, if you are speaking on behalf of uh, uh, the US government, I think it's important for us to check the facts, not just to read the headlines, but really check with people on the ground. Um, by doing that, I think we can, we can help the, uh, the local folks Angola democracy flourish. Um, local, uh, I think democracy in Angola, uh, it's on life support, uh, but I think it's going to flourish. Uh, it's going to flourish, and I think if everyone who either, for whatever reason, is engaged in Angola issues, uh, let's 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 please be honest. Let's have an honest dialogue, uh, regardless of philosophical differences. But make sure that what we're doing, it's not just for advanced individuals' interests, but but the Angolan people as well. Um, there are people I, I, who I know, whether it's in Washington D.C. or elsewhere, who are working every single day to. Uh, to empower civil society um, and, and institutions like the, the Institute of World Politics providing platform, the National Endowment for Democracy provide grants uh, for small grants, but extremely important for, for local organizations uh, to implement their projects in Angola. Uh, the, the, the Angolan civic society is flourished in comparison with, they uh, say, 20 years ago. And, and, and what I would ask the, the Angolan government and President Lorenzo, I mean, please uh, let's do your best and we'll help you. If, you, if your goal is to implement uh, democracy, providing jobs to improve people's lives, uh, transparency, good governance, we'll help you. We'll, this, is, this is what we want. We want to make sure Angola Angolans are, are benefiting for its, 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 its local resources. Uh, they are flourishing and, 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 and no one has to fear for their lives uh, if they have to speak, uh, just if they have to, to, to have a different opinion uh, in regard to an a Angolan official. Um, so I, I just would like to, to thank one, thank you one once again, Hashim, for 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 having us, hosting us, and for the Institute of World World Politics, um, as well as the you know the IRI, of course, uh, has done an excellent work. Um, for as far as I remember, um, NDI and the, the National Domain for Democracy, uh, in in and and some other agencies in the US that I, I just for the lack of time I cannot mention, but let's continue doing the good work. I, I really hope and 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 I believe that we can we can we can make democracy strong in Angola and we can mitigate corruption. 
uh, so one day we can have a different outcome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Shifukuti, with this hopeful uh, message and call to action. And uh, thank you also, Ms. Uh, Martina Perino, for this hopeful message and all the insights in this. I've personally enjoyed this uh, lively discussion, and uh, I wish we had more time to get deeper and deeper into uh, Mozambique, Mozambican politics and the prospect of uh, uh, reforms there, but also in Angola. But uh, the message is received, and I also would like to thank uh, the audience for being very patient and uh, bringing your uh, very enriching questions that uh, helped us, uh, you know, get more and more out of uh, this discussion. And I also would like to echo what Shifukuti has said in terms of thanking our uh, sponsor and host, the Institute of World Politics, and also uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Martina, representing the uh, International Republican Institute, and uh, our friend, uh, Mr. Shifukuti is doing a great, great work. I just want to uh, highlight the great work you're doing uh, with Friends of Angola in Angola. And it's not easy. And um, the time would not do justice to cover all the great work that you're doing. So thank you, thank you for uh, coming um, on, the, on this forum and uh, enriching the public and also echoing all of your expertise so that we could all benefit. And we look forward in this series of the African Strategic Forum for uh, further events uh, to come. So please stay uh, tuned and uh, thank you so much and have a, a good evening and uh, take care of yourselves. Uh, I'm your host here, uh, the moderator of the event, Ashim Mekri, and thank you. Thank you.